0: Well, it's my privilege to get to welcome you to this brand new series. Those of you who join us online, uh, thank you for joining us for this uh, series. Micah told us when the fight calls. And, I, you know, we, they put these bumpers together to kind of kick off the series, uh, the different sermons and whatnot. <laughs> I love this one. So you see that little kid, right, throws that first kind of uh, sparring punch. It's like he's just putting everything into it. I don't lose that, Okay. Don't lose that because we are in a fight. We are in a fight. You know, throughout the history of the military, they have used bugles and trumpets to announce different uh, commands during battle. And one of those commands is a call to the battle. And you and I have been given a call The trumpet has sounded. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8. He says, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? Well, the call has been made. There is a clear call to the battle that you and I are in. We're in a war, but it's not a conventional war. This is a fight against This is not a fight against other human beings. Instead, as a follower of Jesus, this is a spiritual fight. And this battle, it's for your soul, for the souls of those around you, those souls in here, but those souls out beyond here. This is a battle for the soul. Paul explained it this way in Ephesians 6.12. He said this, excuse me, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy, you know him as Satan. His objective is to defeat us by controlling our thoughts. He wants to control the things we think about in order to influence where we put our faith and how we live our lives. He works to keep us from living out the purpose that God has called us to. This battle isn't fought on conventional battlefields. This battle is fought in your mind. Let me explain it this way. Usually when you have a thought, it's related to something else that you are thinking about or something that you're doing or something that happens in your environment. You think about it and You think about something, and it leads to another thought. Or you do something, and it leads to a specific thought. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You're sitting there watching television. And then all of a sudden, this comes up on your screen. Okay? And it speaks to you in a way that you weren't being spoken to prior to this commercial, right? And what you find out later, a few minutes later... The commercial has moved on. You saw the gooey cheese come from the crust, and you saw the piping hot uh, sausage and pepperoni, right? Somebody, anybody want to order one right now? Uh, yeah, let's do it, right? Um, <clears throat> the, the thing about it is is that two or three minutes later, all of a sudden you have this prevailing thought in your mind, right? And what's it about? Pizza. For a lot of us, that's what it is. And you think about it long enough some of us will actually make a phone call and order a pizza. But have you ever been going through a regular day, right? And all of a sudden, out of the blue, pops into your head this thought. Maybe it was disgusting or salacious. And you wonder, where in the world did that come from? Or it might have been something that you did or saw 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and you're, you're thinking there's, there's nothing connected to that. There was no thought that I was having prior to that. There was no activity prior to that. That just kind of popped into my head. What would have caused you to have that specific thought at that moment? I think most people just dismiss it as, man, that was weird. I wonder where that came from. Or, well, that's Freud." Probably explain it, but I can't. And so we just move on, right? But some will entertain the thought for a while. And others will take it even a step further. They think about it long enough, and like that pizza thought led to ordering a pie, this thought will lead them to a sinful action. Do you ever wonder where a thought that seemingly came out of the blue actually comes from? Well, that is a shot over the bow from your spiritual enemy because your mind is the battlefield for your soul and for the souls of those that you have influence over. Your mind is where this war is fought, and surprisingly, many people don't know that. They don't know that their mind is a battlefield. What you think controls what you do. The thoughts you entertain will influence the actions that you take. Let me explain it from a personal standpoint. Sundays are a busy time for me, so I usually start early on Sunday mornings. I frequently experience on Sundays these kinds of spiritual battles in my mind. Surprisingly to no one, this happened last Sunday... Easter Sunday. I was geared up, ready for Easter Sunday. I was getting ready, you know, shaving and showering and all that, getting dressed. I'd been listening to Caleb. I want to fill my heart and my mind with praise and celebration. And all of a sudden, a crazy thought pops into my mind. In the past, that would have slowed me down. I would have had remorse about it, thinking, why would I think a thought like that i'm i'm god's vessel and yet why would i think that but i've come to realize instead that thought wasn't from god it came from my enemy so i just rejected it in the name of jesus as i have done many times before and since These days, I refer to those attacks as simply stupid thoughts. I'm not going to give them any more traction than they deserve. You may never have thought about this in this context, but I hope you will because the enemy wants to have influence over how you think. And one maybe sounds somewhat selfish But I would encourage you to pray for whoever stands in this spot because the enemy is often going to attack them because he doesn't want them to share what God has put on their heart. It's amazing what he will do to try to mess up your thought process in this moment. The enemy begins simply by bombarding our mind with cleverly devised patterns of subtle, nagging thoughts, suspicions, fears, doubts, all kinds of other thoughts. Remember, he has a strategy for his warfare against you and against me. He studied us for a long time. He knows what we like and what we don't like. Now, it's not surprising our weaknesses are common among men and women. So it's not like he's done tremendous research, but he's mindful of what you're vulnerable to. What your where your weaknesses lie. He knows our insecurities, our weaknesses and our fears. He knows what bothers us most and he is willing to invest any amount of time it takes to defeat us. So what do we know about our enemy? Well, let me, let me show you in John the 8th chapter, verse 44, what Jesus said about him. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said he's a murderer, he's a liar, that's his, that's his vernacular is to lie. In fact, he says he's the father of all lies. So every liar is from that tree, that lineage. Jesus calls him the father of lies because he lies to you, he lies to me, he lies to everyone. He tells us things about ourselves, about other people, about circumstances that are just not true. He might tell you half-truth, but then he tweaks it and lies. Satan has three basic weapons that he uses to influence our thinking. The first one is this one about lying. Satan lies. In Genesis 3, Satan, in the form of a serpent, talks to Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. This is what we read their conversation to be. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, God didn't say that, did he? But he said, the woman said to the serpent, You won't die. And that was the nudge necessary for them to sin. Lying is his main weapon. It's his most effective weapon. The second weapon that Satan uses in this spiritual battle for your soul, for your faith, is Satan tempts. He tempts everyone. In fact, he tempted Jesus. So here's the reality. If he would tempt Jesus... we gotta expect he's gonna tempt us, right? Because, I mean, if Jesus is up here, perfection is right there. He never sinned, never fell for one of his lies, one of his temptations, and we're down here, right? You know, like Paul Sexton's right here, and I'm right here, right? Is that, I'm just say that, because I like Paul, you know? And the, the truth is that we're down here, Satan knows that. He knows that Jesus withstood those temptations, but we're not Jesus, so we should expect that. And the third third weapon that he has is Satan accuses. And it was a long time after i have been in ministry for a long time before I realized this tool that Satan uses. Satan will accuse you of many things to try to knock your focus off of who you are in Christ and what God has called you to be. And one of the most effective ways that he does this is by bringing to your mind past sins. It's like a sin pops into your head. And his reminder is, remember when you did that? You remember when you messed your life up doing that? Do you remember that? And you're like, I remember it. And what his goal is in that moment is he wants you to think that is who you are. That moment. That action. Is that who you are? If you're in Christ, is that who you are? No. He wants you to think that that sin defines you. And thus, the result of that is if that's who you are, then you're not worthy of being a Christian. You're not worthy. You should feel bad about who you are. We've probably all experienced this accusation at one time or one variation of it at one time or another, but it's important to know that because of the blood of Christ shed on the cross, those sins were not only forgiven, but get this, God forgets them. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers our sins no more. How powerful is that? The almighty God knows all things, omniscient, Chooses not to remember your forgiven sins. That should resonate with you. And yet the devil wants to bring them back up and go, That's who you are. That's who you are. Most of us know that Jesus' blood cleanses man from his sins. But did you know how powerful it is in this battle against Satan? We should remind him of the power of Jesus' atonement over our sins all the time. From his book, The Glorious Church, Watchman Nee, gives us tremendous insight to counter Satan's accusations. Watchman Nee was a, an incredible influence in the Chinese church of the 20th century as a leader and as a teacher and as a, as a writer. In fact, his, his writings are still relevant uh, to. Today, I, I came across this um, ebook and I I wanted to print it out because I didn't think it was that long. And uh, Reggie came to my office the other day and it's like 160 pages. I had no idea it was that long. And they said, "Did you print this?" And I said, "Yeah, sorry, I did. Uh, my bad. I'll pay for it." This is what this is what Watchman Nee says in his book, The Glorious Church, about accusation. He says in Romans five nine says, having now been justified in his blood. Having now been justified in his blood. He goes on, he says, when many people come into the Lord's presence, they have no peace in their heart. They also have a feeling of worthlessness and of being wrong within. This is because they have a false hope. They expect that they will have something positive in themselves to offer to God. When they discover that they do not have anything positive to offer uh, in themselves, the accusations come. An accusation like this. A person like you will never have anything good to offer to God. Is that true? No. But when Satan accuses you like that, you feel worthless because of those past sins. And deep shame is at the root of all of those failures. And all of a sudden the shame and the guilt seem to resonate over a sin that Jesus died for and washed away. Watchman Nee continues. He says this, "But we must remember that we originally possess no positive goodness before God. There was nothing good in ourselves that we could offer to God. We could only present one thing to him, the blood. We could only be justified by the blood. That's the blood of Jesus. We do not have any positive righteousness in ourselves. We become righteous only because of the righteousness which we receive through redemption. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. In fact, Isaiah says that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 1.30, he says this, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So when someone puts their faith in Jesus and is redeemed, Jesus becomes their righteousness. Now they have something to offer to God. They have righteousness they can offer to God because of Jesus. No matter what the enemy accuses you of, if you're in Christ, that sin has been washed away. And then call that accusation what it is, a stupid thought. Well, we don't just have to take spiritual incoming fire from the enemy. We can actually fight back. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Let's look at verse 4 first. He says this, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Before we talk about the weapons, let's talk about these strongholds for a moment. Strongholds are points of operation that allow Satan to exert power over us. They impact our thinking, our emotions, and often our behavior. Only through the Lord's power will we be able to break free from Satan's control. Satan's strategy is to introduce his thoughts and his ideas into your mind and deceive you into believing that they are your thoughts and your ideas. Neil Anderson wrote an incredible book on this whole idea of of, uh, spiritual battle. It's entitled Victory Over Darkness. I strongly recommend you get a copy of this if you have an interest at all in this topic. But he writes this, he says, anything that has been learned can be unlearned. This is the major path of renewal in the New Testament. Through the preaching of God's word, Bible study, and personal discipleship, you stop being conformed to this world and experience the transformation of the renewing of your mind. He's quoting Romans 12, two there. As I said, Satan has three main weapons. He lies, tempts, and accuses, and his main weapon is he lies. So if Satan can get you to believe a lie, he can control your life. If you fail to take a thought captive, into obedience to Jesus, but instead believe it, then, the, then Satan can control your thinking. Paul goes on, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I want you to remember this key truth. Satan has no authority over you except what you give him. You may never have known that, but that is the fact. He has no authority over you. You are a child of the king. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you you have been washed by the blood of the lamb, you've been baptized into Christ Jesus, Satan has no play for you except what you allow him to have. You give him power when you fail to take captive a thought or an idea, and then you're deceived by believing the lies that are encompassed in that thought. Since Satan's main weapon is to lie, then your defense against him is the truth. Every time you expose his lie with God's truth, then his power is broken. And then, as Jesus said in John 8.32, this is true. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will, say it with me, set you free. The truth will set you free. Because the truth is what defeats the enemy's lies. Satan's lies can't withstand the truth any more than darkness can withstand the light of a morning sunrise. So we have weapons, Paul talked about, the weapons that we have. And these weapons we can use to fight back with. And they're pretty simple. The first one is the Bible. Paul calls God's word the sword when he's describing the armor of God that the disciple of Jesus wears. He describes all this in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. The Bible is both an offensive and defensive weapon. I just read John 8, 32, but let's go back and read verse 31 and 32 together. He said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus tells us we can win the victory over lies, temptations, accusations of Satan when we abide or we continue in the Bible, we must get the truth of God in us to regularly renew our minds with his word. We receive the word through personal Bible study, preaching, teaching, books, videos, podcasts, the list goes on. There's all kinds of outlets where we can actually absorb the word of God, spend time in it, abide in it. Joyce Myers, in one of my favorite books of all time, Battlefield of the Mind, if uh, really, it's one of my top 10 favorite books. She writes this about abiding. She said, we must abide or continue in the word until it becomes a revelation given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, what she's saying is "Say, hey, spend some time here in this. Don't just read it and you know, you know, plow through it and get to the end of it. Check the box. I've read my verse for today. He's, she's saying, Continue in it, spend some time in it until the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that it becomes a revelation to you, like you have this aha moment where you go, oh, I see what he's saying here. I see how to apply this to my life. I see what he's exposing on the enemy's strategy. I see how I can apply that to help someone else. Abide in it. To have victory in this battle, we must abide in the word. Staying in the Word is vital. If you're you're not reading the Bible, I want to encourage you, okay? I know we're four months into these Bible reading plans that we started at the beginning of the year. F260 and Bible Recap. I, I would encourage you, you can still join those groups. You can still jump in. I know, I know that no one will even think twice about it. We want as many folks to get into God's word on a regular basis, abiding in his word as possible. So go to ncclex.org groups and sign up for one of those Bible reading plans and start abiding in his word. Start spending time renewing your mind every day. So the Bible's the first weapon that we have. There are two other spiritual weapons. Our praise is the second and our prayers is the third. I wanna talk about these together. Praise defeats the devil quicker than any other weapon But it must be a genuine, heartfelt praise that comes from your heart. It's not just lip-syncing, right? But as you praise, you're truly reflecting your heart to God. We praise God. We praise God. Both praise and prayer involve the Bible. And when we praise God according to his word and his goodness, he's honored and he's blessed and there's power. Prayer draws us into communion with God. Prayer is a relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Prayer is coming to God, praising and thanking Him for all that He's done. But it's also asking for help and talking to Him about your life. If you want to have an effective prayer life, develop a good relationship with the Father. Know that He loves you, that He's full of mercy for you, that He will help you. And get to know Jesus, He's your friend. He died for you. Get to know the Holy Spirit. He is with you all the time as your helper. Let him help you. As we learn to use these weapons, bible the Bible, praise, and prayer, we will begin to recognize Satan's lies, his temptations, and his accusations. And we'll also be able to tear down the strongholds that have been built in our minds. Then as Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's important in this whole process that we listen carefully. Listen carefully. Several years ago, one of the administrative assistants of the church where I was working at Southland Christian asked me if I knew Joe Montana. (laughs) And I said you know, I was a sports geek. And so I said, yeah, I know Joe Montana. He's all pro quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. There was a lady in the first service, I kid you not, when I said Joe Montana, she just lit up. I mean, she was like, oh. you know, it's like the best thing I'd said. in the. I talked about Jesus dying for your sins. She wasn't that excited, but I said, Joe Montana. She went, oh my gosh. But anyway, this lady knew nothing about football. She knew nothing about the NFL. And so she was asking me, do you know anything about Joe Montana? I said, yes, he's illustrious career. He just recently retired a couple years ago. I said, she said, well, do you have by any chance a picture of him? And, I, and sure enough, I found a picture. I had a book in my library of NFL greats and it, it, a deeply spiritual book in my library, of course. And there was a picture of Joe Montana. And so I showed it to her. And she told me then the story, trying wanted to explain to me why this was relevant. I was curious anyway. And she said that this couple came to see her husband. His name is Bob, and Bob was a minister here in Lexington <clears throat> at the time. And this couple wanted him to perform their wedding ceremony. And they said <clears throat> we 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 really needed to be kind of confidential because, well, the groom is, you guessed it, Joe Montana. And, uh, and Bob doesn't know anything about the NFL. I mean, his wife may know more about it than, than he did. And so he didn't know who Joe Montana was, but they explained he had just recently retired from this illustrious career in the NFL. And, and Joe was wearing a San Francisco 49ers jacket, you know, like what the quarterbacks wear on the sidelines during football games. It looked really official. And, and so she wanted to take this picture home and show her husband. It was a few days, maybe a week later, she came back and she said, guess what? That guy wasn't Joe Montana. <laughs> and I said, I'm kind of surprised because at the time I was thinking, I think Joe Montana's married. I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but I think he's married. And she, she's like, well, he's going to be, you know. And, and so um, what they found out was this guy was going around posing as Joe Montana. He would Find a woman, marry her, and, you know, kind of drain her bank accounts. And then he would just leave. He'd just disappear. And this was like the fourth or fifth woman that he had attempted this. He didn't officially marry her. But it led me to think. I was was working on this talk. I thought about that story because it's, it's really important that you don't fall for the imposter. This woman was headed down the path that, that other women, three or four other women had already been down, and it ends tragically. Now, she was really sad that this wasn't her husband-to-be. It turned out to all be a fraud. She was sad about that, but it could have been way worse, right? Don't fall for the imposter. Listen carefully. Listen to what Jesus said in Mark, the fourth chapter, verse 24. He said this, consider carefully what you hear what you hear. If you ever wonder whether this is God speaking or Satan speaking, start by asking yourself this simple kind of fundamental question. Is this something God would say to me? Is this something that God would say to me? You know, a a loving God who gave his son on the cross to die for you so that he might have a relationship with you. Does this sound like something that he would say to me? And keep in mind what the Apostle Paul said about Satan. He said this, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Now he knows something about that because he was, he was an archangel at one time. So he knows what that looks like that that's not who he is, but he masquerades that way. So he will try to make you think that you are hearing God, but it's not, a, it's not a God, it's actually Satan. And here's a secret to discerning God's voice from Satan's voice. The more you read and learn God's word, the more you know about God and his nature and his character, the better equipped you will be to recognize him and his voice and you'll be able to spot the enemy trying to impersonate our Heavenly Father. Now, I want to I tell you one more thing, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up with a strategy real quick. 1 Corinthians 10 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. If You, do, you should have this underlined in your Bible, or you should have it highlighted on your smartphone. This verse, this verse gives you tremendous insight into how this battle really is rigged for our benefit. Listen to what Paul promises that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can withstand. So he has set a parameter in your life for how far Satan can go. And he said, hey, you know what? This is as far as I'm letting him go and this is how much you can handle. So he can only go this far, and you should be able to handle this. Now, there are going to be times when you're tired and you're lonely and you're afraid and you're overwhelmed, and maybe you're vulnerable at that point. But God's saying, hey, if you feel like this is a big temptation, you should be honored because God has said you're up to the task. But he always says, and then he says, he always provides a way of escape. So not only does he limit how far, but there's also a way to to get out of this. He always provides a means of escape. Our enemy has studied us and so he tempts us and he will often hit us in an area where we're vulnerable. Though you feel susceptible to that temptation, never forget that God has set a limit. You can withstand that. He sets a limit on how far Satan can go and he always provides a way out. So as I close this, I want to wrap all of this up to give you a a four-point strategy on how to fight back, okay? This comes from Neil Anderson's book, Victory Over Darkness. It's very scripturally founded, but I want to give you these four quick bullet points. The first one is this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've talked a lot about this. This comes from Romans 12 too. Some of you already know this. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you renew your mind? We've been talking about all message long. By filling it with God's word. A regular routine, a regular cycle of the word into your mind and your heart. And when you do that, you will win the battle for your mind. In order to win that battle for your mind, you must, as Paul said in Colossians 3, 16, the word of let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let it, take, let it have its way to renew your mind, to think on the things that God would have you to think on. <clears throat> and then as you continue to stockpile your mind with God's truth, you will equip yourself to recognize Satan's lies, his temptations, and his accusations, and you can take them captive. Point number two, prepare your mind for action. In 1 Peter, Peter writes this, he says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. It means you're sharp. Once you're clear in your thinking and your focus, then he said, then we should do away with worthless thoughts Frivolous fantasies and stupid thinking. Philippians 4.8, Paul says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, circle that, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, Anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if you're wondering, what should I be thinking about? Make some lists here. Make some lists of things that are true as a result of your relationship with God, what you've seen him do. What are true? What have you read in his word that's true? And then another list, noble, and what is right, and whatever is pure, and you get the idea. And think on those things. I I have for years gone through my personal Bible study, and I have a, a piece of paper, and I just write a verse down, a reference, and then I'll write the verse out that spoke to me during that time. And just the other day, I was going back, and I was, I pulled the, one of my study Bibles off the shelf, and I was going through it, and I was like, man, that, that was like, for me to read through those verses, it, it was like, it was like gold for my mind. It was just, it was, it was like this significant reset. And I only read like like 10 or 15 of the verses. And it wasn't a quiet time. I had gone there to, I was doing some study for something else and I, I found this in there. It was tucked in there and I was like, oh man, imagine yourself Reflecting on those on a regular basis, a regular diet of God renewing your mind, obeying the truth that he's given to you. Think about those things, and you'll find yourself motivated to fight this spiritual battle. Number three, spiritual strategy. Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. We talked about that. Evaluate every thought by the truth of the Bible and don't give any space for the lies, temptations, and accusations. Recognize what they are, take them captive, and don't give them any authority in your life. And then number four, turn to God. When your commitment to God's plan is being challenged by other thoughts that come from the world, come from your flesh, come from the enemy, bring it to God in prayer. By doing this, you're just... You're acknowledging God. You're the authority here, and I need you. And he's, you're gonna expose your thoughts to his truth in moments like that. And when that happens, Satan's lies will be exposed. Don't allow stupid thoughts to influence your life. Our behavior is the result of our inner life. It's what we think about That's where our actions will come from. Satan knows very well that if he can control our thoughts, he can control our actions. So throughout your life, you may have unknowingly allowed the enemy to influence your thinking. And as a result, you made mistakes. Remember Jesus was here and Paul and Monty were right here. Yeah, that means that all of us have done that. In fact, you may even have some major strongholds in your life that need to be broken. Let me encourage you. God is on your side. There is a war going on for your faith, for your soul, and your mind is the battlefield for it. But the good news is is that God is fighting on your side. And in the end, we win. Just stay with him. You can have victory as a result. The truth will set you free. I know when we have a talk like this, um, sometimes it's brand new for some and they're like, whoa, it's a little overwhelming, a lot to think about. If you want to talk more about it, I'd love to, we'd love to talk with you, to take some steps toward that. Maybe, you know, you've never made a commitment to Jesus and you've never said, hey, Lord, I want to follow you. Um, I've done this with my life. This is who I am up to this point, but I, I see that you offer a better way. And I'd love for my sins to be washed away. I'd love to have a hope for all eternity to be part of your family. If you're interested in knowing more about that, you can, you can see me down here at the end of the service or you can text us to, or email us to nosamani at ncclex.org. We'd love to connect with you. Never forget, God is fighting for you. And as a result of that, you can have victory if you trust him in that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, this time. Your word is so rich to renew us and uh, help us to recalibrate our thinking. And Lord, it's uh, vitally important because we are in a battle, a battle for our faith. We have to fight for it. Lord, I thank you that you have rigged this on our behalf that you, you only allow Satan so much latitude and, and you always provide a means of escape. You won't let him tempt us beyond what we can handle and, and you always provide a way out. And Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of that. Make us aware, God, just how real and serious this battle is. Lord, we want to live faithfully for you. We know that's our best life. So help us to abide in your word regularly and teach us to know your voice, to take every thought captive. God, show us the power of your word and praise and prayer in this battle. God, we pray all this in Jesus' precious and holy name.